Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. We're uh, Revelation 15 and 16. We've been walking through uh, the study of the book of Revelation this morning. We're in uh, Revelation 15 and 16. And uh, today talking about the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. Now, this morning, I just want everybody to tell on themselves <clears throat> who recognizes the phrase. Raise your hand. You've got to be old. All right, good. So, uh, <laughs> there's, so, so the younger folks, this was, this was a phrase, a slogan used by ABC, Wide World of Sports. That was uh, before there was an ESPN. And, uh, but, but anyways, when I read this chapter of Scripture, these couple of chapters of Scripture, uh, this slogan came to mind, just the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat. And uh, when you're talking about the New Testament, in the New Testament Scriptures, uh, uh, Jesus in his word oftentimes talks about the Christian uh, life as an athletic contest. Uh, oftentimes he uses the imagery of a runner. He uses different imageries as we're talking about an athlete, uh, uh, but sometimes it's as a runner uh, running a race. In fact, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 24, uh, the Bible says it like this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one uh, receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And so we're to run the race. It's an athletic Contest, And when you're talking about this uh, game of life, although it's not a game, but this game of life, uh, 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 we have two teams, basically. Although we each one, if we're saved, we're running an individual race, but we're a part of a team. And so really, there's only two teams in life. Listen, there's only two teams in life. There's not bystanders. There's nobody in the stands. There's only two teams. And the question is, which team are you playing for? Which team are you running with? Which team are you on? There is team saint, uh, those who have called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. And then there's also team sinners, those who have never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are living in sin today. There's only two teams. Now, the, the, the unique thing about this game of life is this, that although in an athletic contest, normally when you show up, the question is, is who's going to win today? Who's going to win uh, uh, today? That's part of that excitement, that anticipation. Now, in the game of life, the good news is this. We already know who has won. The victory has already been won by Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about that. There's still battles to be fought along the way, uh, but the victory has been won. And so the question really as to whether or not you're experiencing the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat is which team are you on today? Whose side are you on? Where do you stand this morning? And I, and I pray to God that you would answer that question, who am I? Am I a child of the king? And it doesn't happen simply by being religious it doesn't happen because I go to church. It doesn't happen because I pray or I give money or I share the gospel. I can do a lot of things, but there's got to come a point in my life when I recognize my sin and, and I recognize it's my sin that separates me from God and that Jesus came into this world. He laid down his life for my sin. He paid the price. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works. It's not about anything that we can do that we say, look what I did, look what I accomplished, because it's impossible to be accomplished. Our sin has to be dealt with, and that's what Jesus Christ did on the cross, paid in full. 
And I'm grateful today to be able to say, I am saved, and because I'm saved, I will one day, one day, even though, and, and I say one day because our text is taking us down the road, but even today I have the opportunity and privilege to live life because of Jesus Christ. And so this morning the question is, whose side, whose team are you on Revelation chapter number 15, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to pick up both of these chapters this morning, God willing, and uh, so let's walk. The Bible says in verse number 1, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something uh, like, a sea of, like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God. And they sang uh, the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God and Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And he goes on from there. So this morning we find ourselves in this text of Scripture. We've been walking through this book of Revelation. We're getting ready to enter into this last portion of the tribulation period. The tribulation period being a seven-year period that's going to happen. Uh, the church will be raptured one of these days. We don't know when that's going to happen. That could be as early as today. The rapture of the church, when Jesus Christ calls his church home, we don't know when that's going to happen, but when that does happen, there's going to be a peace treaty, an agreement that gets signed between the Antichrist and the nation of Israel. And, uh, and it's going to begin a seven-year period of time that the Bible refers to as, a, as, as the tribulation period. And it's during that time that we see God uh, judging sin on this planet. There will be people being saved during those years. However, this morning we're going to see where it won't be even the entire seven-year period. There will be an end to the days of grace completely. Uh, uh, that being said, we find ourselves this morning in the midst of this uh, tribulation period and, uh, and getting ready for the end, as has been noted even in verse number 1. It's interesting because throughout the book of Revelation, we catch glimpses. John, the revelator, I'm not sure why. I think that God Almighty, and this is just my own <clears throat> perception, uh, but it's interesting as you're walking through the book of Revelation that oftentimes we find these nuggets, these little glimpses of heaven, as if to say, hey, <laughs> I know you're in a dark spot as you're reading through and walking through this text of Scripture, but just know this, what a day that's going to be one day. I heard a story, in fact, about a father and a son who were walking at night, and they were looking at the stars in the heavens, and uh, the little boy was talking to his daddy. He said, Daddy, he said, if heaven is that beautiful on the outside, I wonder what it looks like on the inside. <laughs> and John, as he writes this book of Revelation, gives us these little glimpses about heaven. And so we're going to talk, first of all, about these first few verses of Scripture uh, uh, where we see, again, the thrill of victory. Now, verse number 1, verse number 1, uh, John gives us, again, uh, a picture of the angels preparing for <clears throat> the judgment day. 
which will happen. It is coming our way. In fact, over in Joel, if you look at verse number one here, it says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And we're going to pick those angels back up again in verse number five. But he's just simply saying, hey, God Almighty is preparing for what we call the day of the Lord. In other words, he is going to be faithful to judge all sin. Nothing will be overlooked by God. He never overlooks sin. In fact, when you're reading through the book of Revelation, there are many lessons to take away. But one lesson is this, that sin God takes very seriously. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't think lightly of sin. He says, I will deal with sin. Joel chapter number 1 and in verse number 15, the Bible says, Alas, for the day. Uh, for the day of the Lord is near, and it will come as destruction from the Almighty. Now rest assured, the day of the Lord will come, will come. In fact, this whole world, every single person in this place is heading either to Jesus Christ and into his arms or into his judgment, one or the other. And the question is, again, which team are you on today? He goes into verse number two and he says, here's what it looks like. Here's the thrill of victory. We have this scene of a heavenly tabernacle. I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And it goes on from there. But he's simply talking about uh, these people who have been saved. These are what we would call the tribulation saints. These are those who get saved during the tribulation period, understanding that as they get saved, it costs them their life during that period of time. There is massive, massive, massive persecution. They're being hunted down, again, by Satan and by the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the rest of the people, in fact, on the whole planet. But we have this heavenly tabernacle. In fact, it's the, it's the second time we've read about uh, this, this place or this picture. Revelation chapter 4 and in verse number 6, the Bible says, And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes uh, in front and uh, behind. And it's just, again, when you're talking about this heavenly tabernacle, this scene, we know this to be true. We had an earthly tabernacle that we read about in the Old Testament. And the earthly tabernacle uh, was a model of the heavenly tabernacle. It was what was happening here on the planet where the presence of God would rest. And so when you read about the sea of glass uh, in the Old Testament, when we're talking about, again, the earthly tabernacle, uh, we can read about that over in 1 Kings chapter number 7. And in 1 Kings chapter 7 and in verse number 23, the Bible says it <clears throat> like this. Now he made the sea of cast metal, ten cubits from brim to brim, circular in form, and its height was five cubits and thirty cubits in circumference. And this sea that he's speaking of in 1 Kings chapter number 7 uh, was a, a, a laver uh, that was used by the priests when they would enter into the temple to serve the Lord God Almighty. And they would wash themselves. It was used for washing. It was used for 
cleansing and preparation for service. And so this C is representing what I believe to be uh, the Word of God. When you're talking about uh, uh, who are these saints and how is it that they're standing in the presence of God, it's because they were standing on the Word of God. What I mean by standing on the Word of God, they live their life according to the Word of God. They believe the Word of God. They receive the Word of God. They live by the Word of God. In fact, the Bible says it like this in Ephesians chapter number 5, verses 26 and 27. The Bible says, so that he might, Jesus, might sanctify her, talking about the bride of Christ, having cleansed her, how? By the washing of water with the Word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so these verses provide a picture, again, of these tribulation saints who stood victorious on the Word of God. And so we have this picture of them standing in the presence of God Almighty, victoriously. Uh, 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 and so when you're talking about the Word of God, the Word of God is how we live life. If you want victory in life, you stand on the Word of God. Why? Because life in Christ begins with the Word of God. The Bible says over in, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter number 10 and in verse number 17, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so we must hear the Word of God in order that we might be saved. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The gospel is included in the Word of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And when you receive by faith the Word of God, when you receive by faith the one who's being presented in the Word of God, we are saved. We can stand victoriously because His, His Word tells us so. I'm saved again by faith through grace. And so we see this crystal, and, and not only do we see a crystal, but we see the fire within the crystal. And I believe that's just simply a picture of these tribulation saints who have been through the fire. God saved them through the fire. He brought them through the fire. We can stand victorious because of the Word of God. Aren't you uh, encouraged when you read through Scripture? For example, when you're talking about the fires of tribulation, we can go back, uh, I immediately go back to the Old Testament to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where we see that, yes, there will be times of difficulty for believers. Yes, there's going to be times when we find ourselves in the fire. It might not be a literal fire like it was for them. It was a literal fire for them. But some kind of a fire, some kind of a tribulation, some kind of a trial. In fact, this morning I would say there are some people even in this building that are walking through the fire. And I'm grateful today that because of God's word, I'm encouraged because guess what? There's a fourth one in the fire with you today. That God won't leave you. He won't forsake you. Yes, you're going to go through some difficult days, but I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. My grace is sufficient for my power is perfected in your times of weaknesses. In fact, this, this morning, uh, we'll be praying for a family. We have a family this morning. We got a lot of folks that are going through fires, but this morning we got a family in the midst of a fire. And it's encouraging to see the peace because the Prince of Peace is with them. And I'm grateful, again, 
that uh, God's word, it's because of his word that we can stand on his promises and have the victory. That's where the victories come in life, because of him and through him. In fact, Joshua, uh, in Joshua chapter number one and in verse number eight, before the children of Israel were going to go into the promised land and Joshua, Moses had died, Joshua had just taken over. And God said this in Joshua 1, verse number 8. You want to have victory when you go into the new land? You want to have victory when you live life in the promised land? Uh, He says, here's how you can have victory. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have success. There's success when we do it God's way. You know what we do so many times, so often, is we struggle with doing it God's way. And you know, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. In other words, we've got to live life God's way. We want to experience victory. So many times we, we, we live life our way, and we suffer the consequences. <clears throat> The tribulation saints were standing in the presence of God. And they were singing. They weren't just standing in his presence, but the Bible says they were also singing as they were there. The Bible says in verse number 3, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Isn't it interesting, when you're talking about heaven, how many times have we seen where in heaven, there's a lot of singing going on in heaven. I mean, what a day that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, uh, But they're singing. He he mentions two different songs. He mentions the song of Moses, which, by the way, if you're looking at Scripture, that's the first song recorded in the whole Bible is the song of Moses. It takes us all the way back to when the children of Israel, uh, they, they had the Egyptian army that were coming up fast on their heels, and there was no way of escape because they had the Red Sea on one side and they had the army of the Egyptians on the other side, and there was was no escape. But where there was no escape, according to man, God provided a way. He provided a way. He parted the Red Sea, and the, and the nation of Israel walked through on dry ground, and then that sea came and, and enveloped and, the, and totally, totally crushed the Egyptian army. And it was there on the shore that they sang a song of deliverance. And here he's saying, what about the song of the Lord? It's the same thing. It's the song of redemption. When you consider in these verses of Scripture the work of God, when you consider the ways of God, it leads to the worship of God. When we take time to really think on these things, that God Almighty spoke the heavens and the earth into existence, that God Almighty created the heavens and the earth, and He didn't just create the heavens and the earth, but He created you and He created me. And not only did He create us, but He remembered us, and He came into this world and laid down His life so that we might have life. And after He laid down His life, He was raised from the dead, He went back and ascended to the Father, and He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell within us, to guide us and to guard us. And he granted to us even his word. His ways and his works are marvelous, and it causes us to sing and to worship. Does it not? 
I'm grateful for the privilege to be able to sing his praises. I was thinking this week uh, uh, about a song, an old, old hymn song. We sing so many songs anymore, but Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It. You know that song, Redeemed How I Love to Proclaim It? Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by his infinite mercy. His child and forever I am. You know that song? Redeemed, redeemed. Sing with me. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed. I just wanted to do that because I, you know, I see these worship pastors. Why do they hold it out sometimes? I don't know. Maybe they're more spiritual than others. But anyways, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. And you know, I wonder about these songs sometimes. I wonder about these songs sometimes. Do we really sing like we mean it? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. That I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry, and from the waters lifted me, now safe am I. I don't have to be able to sing to have a song. <laughs> I have a song because of what God did for me. His ways and his works, and what we see is worship in his presence and it begins today it's not just one day but it begins even today i am excited for his redemption you know that goes on and it, and, it, and it begins in verse number five and verse five really ties back into chapter number 16 talking about the agony of defeat not everybody has a song to sing because not everybody's been saved. I mean, this morning, maybe you've been in church all of your life and you just don't get to singing. Well, the question's got to be asked. Have you ever experienced redemption? Have you ever experienced His saving grace? Because if you haven't, there's not a whole lot to sing about. There's really. The agony. Of defeat. The Bible goes on in verse 5 through 8. After these things, in verse chapter 15, I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one, no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. And it goes on from there. But just a picture of this temple where seven angels reflecting purity prepared to do the work of the Lord and pouring out his judgment on the planet and when we look into the temple of God the temple was filled with smoke and that smoke is oftentimes a picture of the wrath of God it's the presence of God but it's also a picture of the wrath of God and when we look into the temple we no longer see the mercy seat but the judgment seat and it's always been there but the days of grace have come to an end nobody is able to enter into the temple. You know, when I think about the days of grace coming to 
an end. It's something that most of the time people are very uncomfortable with, thinking about. Life will not go on like it is this day forever. It will come to an end. In fact, we are living in what's known as the days of grace. And one day, the days of grace will be over. In fact, in Genesis, we see uh, a picture of what's going to happen one day. In the book of Genesis, in chapter number 6, <clears throat> there was wickedness running rampant on the earth. And God Almighty told Noah to go and to build a boat. And he said, hey, <clears throat> I'm not going to strive. Genesis chapter 6 and in verse number 3, God Almighty said, I'm not going to be striving with man forever. In other words, there's going to come an end. There's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when the days of grace are going to be over. And if you read on in Genesis 6, you'll read about the story how Noah was building the boat and it took him 120 years and during that 120 years, Noah would be sharing of God's grace and God's mercy and the opportunity that each one had. And yet, they rejected God's grace, and they rejected God's mercy. And then the day came, and if you're reading through Scripture about the story of Noah's Ark, the Bible says that God, that God closed the door. And when God closed the door, it couldn't be opened by anybody. And so there were those on the outside. And you know, I, I find it interesting because oftentimes I think these thoughts and look at Scripture and, and, and those on the outside of the boat, and I don't believe that those on the outside of the boat would be crying out towards repentance, but rather bitterness and hatred and anger, blaspheming even the God as the rains began to fall. <clears throat> you say, why would you say that? Because that's exactly what happens as we continue to read this story. You see, if... If someone's not broken over their own sin and repentant towards God during the days of grace, they're just hardened when it's over. They're just hardened. There's a time for judgment. And so he begins listing out these bowls of wrath to complete the judgment of God that falls. And the Bible says in Verse 1 of chapter 16, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went out and he poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and malignant sore on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the image. You know, when... We're talking about people who have had the privilege to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. They heard the gospel by two amazing witnesses in that day, by the 144,000 Israelites that were sealed by God during that period of time. They heard the gospel, but they had rejected the gospel, and instead they chose to worship the beast. They chose to worship Satan. They chose to worship the Antichrist. And they took the number of the beast. And God says those people that took the number of the beast were plagued with painful ulcers on their body. No one escaped the judgment. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man. 
And every living thing in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, because you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. As we read through this chapter, you see brief interludes a couple of times, this one being angels affirming God Almighty. When you look at these plagues uh, on the planet, and when you look at people who are miserable uh, with ulcers, <clears throat> you see the oceans that are filled. Can you imagine? Could you imagine every living thing? dying in the ocean, and the ocean turning to blood. And so on the banks, we see whales, carcasses of whales and sharks and octopuses and every other sea creature has died. Imagine the stench plaguing the planet. Fresh water turned to blood. When you turn on your sink at the house, nothing comes out but blood. There's nothing to drink. And some would ask the question, how in the world could a loving God do something like this? Because he's also a just God. And he says, you know what these people have done? They have mercilessly taken the lives of those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? It is serious business to mess with the people of God. God does not deal lightly with people that mess with his people. Oh, he's patient, but he deals with it. He doesn't overlook it. The Bible says over in Psalm, in the Psalm, Psalm chapter number 19, and in verse number 9, the Bible says this, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. In fact, if you look back at the Old Testament, <clears throat> Zechariah chapter number 2 and verse number 8, he describes what it's like to mess with the people of God. For thus says the Lord of hosts, After, after glory he has sent me against the nations which plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. You ever had somebody stick their finger in your eyeball? You're not going to say, oh, wow, no big deal. <laughs> that's, a, that's the most sensitive part on your whole body. He says, you mess with my people, and I will deal with you. And none of these that he's dealing with could plead ignorance. Nobody could plead ignorance. In fact, this morning, you can't plead ignorance today. If you rejected the grace of God and His mercy and His salvation, you can't plead ignorance. I can remember growing up as a kid and how many times I'd plead ignorance thinking it'd get me off the hook. <laughs> you, ever, you ever do that with your mom and dad along the way? I, I didn't know. I didn't know. Two o'clock in the morning. I, I didn't know what time it was. I, I didn't know. 
Nobody can plead ignorance. God loves you and desires a relationship with you and wants to give you life. And if today you reject that, you choose. You choose to be judged for your sins. And He will. He will. He goes on in verse number 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Men were scorched with fierce heat. And watch this in verse number 9. They blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. They did not repent of their deeds. You know, when you read through Scripture, and it tells of what's happening, and the intense heat from the sunshine, oftentimes you'll find people trying to explain this is how that will happen. I don't know how it happens. All I know is that there's going to be some intense heat and people are going to die because of heat. But I thought about that and I thought, you know, not only will people die because of the heat, the ice cap's going to melt and it's going to cause some crazy severe flooding. But it's interesting in verse 10 when we're talking about the fifth plague because in the fifth plague, <clears throat> it says that the bowl was on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. And I think that this is similar to what we saw happen when God was dealing with the Egyptians and the nation of Israel <clears throat> when he darkened the Egyptians, but there was light on his people. I think that there's physical darkness that happens, but I think that even perhaps greater than the physical darkness that overwhelms them is the spiritual and emotional darkness. A dark, dark place. You say, what, what are you talking about? You ever, you ever heard somebody describe, I've never struggled myself with depression, but you ever heard somebody describe depression as a terrible, terrible, terrible dark hole, a dark pit, no hope, no hope. And I believe God takes them to a place of darkness such that we have never fathomed before. In fact, when you're talking about spiritual darkness, there are people living in spiritual darkness. Colossians 1 and verse number 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So we talk about spiritual darkness and emotional darkness, but also physical darkness. And the Bible says they gnawed their tongues because of their pain. The, 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 the word for gnawed there is... The same word that's used to describe the snarling of a wild animal. And he, and he says, hey, you know, you know they, didn't, they didn't get repentant, they didn't get broken before God, but instead they got mad. 
And I don't believe we can repeat the words that they said against God. There was no repentance. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river, the river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon in the mouth of the beast in the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Now don't let your mind go to a literal frog. We're talking about a slimy, disgusting, unclean spirit. Demon. For they're spirits of demons, verse 14, performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stands, who stays awake and keeps his clothes so that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. And they gathered them together to the place which is in Hebrew called Har-Mageddon. This morning, when we're looking at verse number 12 through number 16, <clears throat> he's describing, again, the preparation of what we know as the Battle of Armageddon. Um, and, and, and that is expounded upon as we move ahead. But he's just simply saying, hey, it will be prepared. There's a preparation process that's going to happen. In fact, wicked demonic spirits will woo the nations to come to battle against God Almighty. The great river, the river Euphrates, interestingly, simply because when you look at the Euphrates, although some people today would say, you know, the Euphrates is drying up, and, and, and I'm just simply saying, hey, guess what I believe? I believe that when that intense heat comes with the bowl just prior to this, that the ice caps on Mount Ararat are going to be, begin to melt away and that this river Euphrates is going to be flooding its banks in that day and that God's going to miraculously come and prepare the way. Why is he doing that? He's not doing that. He's not doing that to be a friend to the nations. He's doing that in preparation for the battle that's going to be taking place. He's inviting them to come. And although the nations are going to be coming to do fierce battle against the King of Kings, God Almighty said, hey, you come on. I'm preparing to feed your flesh to the birds. And we're going to read about that as we move forward. <clears throat> but they're doing the bidding of God, preparing for this battle of Armageddon. And we're going to pick that up as we move forward. Verse 17 continues on with the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found, and huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. It's interesting when you look at this seventh angel pouring out his bowl, that a loud voice said, it is done. It's this, this, this is the, finale, the, the final 
plague. It's done. The wrath of God being poured out on sin. Kind, on, 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 on sin. You know, it, it takes me back to the cross. Remember on the cross when Jesus Christ, he said, um, it is finished. It is finished. The wrath of God completely poured out on the sins. My sin was covered on that day. You see, we, we, we talk about something called substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? That simply means this. Jesus was my substitute on the cross. He took, he took the wrath of God, the punishment that I deserved on the cross. And he paid for that. Sin must be dealt with by a righteous God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life as a substitute if we would, again, by faith, receive his gift. He paid the price for your sins and for mine. The question is, will you receive that gift? Because if you don't, then you will pay for your own. God's wrath is poured out. And he says, here's the final one. Here's the final one. And what does it look like? And he describes it. He says, oh, there's going to be an earthquake like has never taken place on the planet. In fact, if you go back to Zechariah, we're not going to go there this morning, but if you go back to Zechariah, you can read all about it, chapter number 14, and you can read all about it. I believe that when that happens on that day, I believe there's going to be massive platonic shifting taking place. The mountains completely will disappear such that there's no more mountains. The islands will disappear such as there's no more islands that will be had. Everything will be shifted. Everything will be changed. Why? Because we're preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ, establishing the earthly kingdom. I believe the world as we know it today will be completely changed by this earthquake, that every building standing will fall And then that's going to be followed by hailstones like you've never seen before. 100-pound hailstones falling from heaven. No exaggeration. So the question as we read through this text of Scripture, chapter 15 and chapter 16, is simply this. Whose side are you on? You're either with Jesus or you're not. You've either tasted His amazing grace and are saved and his wrath, he took all of God's wrath for your sin, or you will endure God's wrath. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse number 36, John chapter 3, verse 36, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the question is, who's, who's, whose team are you on today? The thrill of victory or the agony of defeat? Would you do me a favor today and join me for a time of prayer? And this morning I'm going to pray, and after we pray we'll sing a song. We'll finish the service time, but just want to give you the opportunity to be able to respond today. And this morning, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm inviting you during this moment right now, to call on his name. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever will believe in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent His Son into this world not to condemn you, but to save you from your sins. And this morning, if you're here and you've never called on His name, today is the day. Today is the day. You call on His name. We're going to sing, and when we finish singing, I want you to come. We're going to wait for you this morning. But before we sing today, I'm just going to be in prayer for you, but also, I made mention, we do have a family, Ed and Jennifer Parker, who uh, we're going to be praying for. Ed had cancer in his kidney uh, and then suffered a stroke. And uh, this past Friday found that his cancer returned in his brain. So tomorrow, he has surgery tomorrow morning. So family, would you do me a favor and join me for a prayer where you are? Lord Jesus, I thank you for the day. I thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for these days of grace. God, the opportunity that we have to be able to repent and experience times of refreshing, to be able to repent and be able to experience life, knowing that, God, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but you came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly, even today. God, thank you for coming. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that you shed to pay the price for our sins. God, we're so excited today because, Lord Jesus, although you laid down your life, you took it up again after three days. You rose from the dead. You've ascended. And one of these days, you're coming again. God, we look forward to that day. And yet, God, at the same time, we recognize there are those that have never called on your name. And God, only you, only you have the power to give them life. So Lord Jesus, I'm asking if you, by your power of your Holy Spirit, would just breathe life today. Oh God, I pray for people that we would be repentant before you. That you would give us the humility to recognize our own sinful state. Oh God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Lord, move in power and in might. Father, I pray today for Ed and Jennifer, Isabella, Maxwell. God, these are your children, our dear family. And God, I pray, Father, for your healing touch. God, we know that you're able. We consider your works. God, that you spoke the heavens and the earth into existence. God, that you parted the Red Sea. We saw, Father, where you gave life to the dead. We saw where you gave a, a crippled man the ability to walk, a deaf man the ability to hear, a blind man the ability to see. God, we know that no matter what, you are able. And so, God, we're praying today for a healing touch, God, on Ed's body. Father, I pray for your comfort, Lord Jesus, that you would comfort them. Give them rest during this time. God, I pray for the doctors, for the nurses that you guide and lead them. I pray, God, for the family. Again, guard their hearts and guard their minds. 
And God, I pray that you'd help us, Father, not just in this one situation, but God, help us to comfort others as you have comforted us. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for this opportunity even now. Oh, God, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.